0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Have you ever heard of those timeshare or dream vacation sales programs in which in exchange for you listening to their sales pitch, they'll give you a gift of some sort? Maybe they want to maybe they want you to buy into their uh uh their condominium in the Bahamas and they know that you had not been thinking of buying anything in the Bahamas. And so in order to entice you to do that, they offer you a gift. You come and sit and listen to this sales pitch for a while and we will offer you maybe a weekend on the cheap in the Bahamas. Isn't that sort of thing, you've been a part of that. I I've known some folks who have very good self control and do this sort of thing repeatedly and their homes are full of clock radios and watches and souvenirs from all the different places that they've been. They like to do this. They like to take these kind of vacations and so they're willing to sit through it. They're going through that, they understand it. That, that sort of thing happens and, and it's, it's a fine thing. You both know what you're doing, nobody's swindling anybody, but it gets a little more serious if you do something like enlist in the Army Reserve in exchange for a little extra money and maybe some tuition discounts and then your country goes to war and you find yourself about to be deployed to a combat zone you stop and think hey wait a minute I didn't exactly sign up for this this wasn't my intention here perhaps you should have thought about that before and evaluated some of those costs because it it so happens that sometimes thinking about I'm gonna do this one thing to get this other thing is okay That's just fine. And at other times, getting into something for the wrong motives can come back to bite you. Maybe you should consider some of those costs on the front end. Count them. Evaluate your motives before you get into something. Well, this morning, our passage here at the end of John chapter 1 contains a similar sort of call to us to consider and to count our motives and to count the costs before we get into something or, if you're already in it, before you keep getting deeper and deeper into it. When John chapter 1, our, our third week in the book of John, we've been looking at a great treasure. And this morning he makes his personal appearance He's going to show himself to us in a little different way, kind of like a jewel if you hold it up and you turn it and you see just a slightly different aspect of it. He's going to show us himself again, and then he's going to issue a challenge to us, a challenge to follow him, and before that, a challenge to ask ourselves, why do you want to follow him? So we're going to see today where we're going, but before we get there, let me read the passage. reading John chapter 1 beginning in verse 35, reading through the end of the chapter. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard this, heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see, Philip said. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Our passage occurs on the next day, right after what we looked at last week. So the delegation, to recount what's happened here a little bit, the delegation comes from Jerusalem, interacts with John the Baptist. He then, on the next day, verse 29, he sees Jesus walking by, and he says to the delegation, all who are standing there, Behold, the Lamb of God right there, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And then he goes on to elaborate a little bit about who Jesus is and what his mission is going to be about. That was last week. And then, on the next day again, our passage this morning, verse 35, John is again standing around with two of his disciples. Again, Jesus walks by. Jesus is evidently staying in the area, and John, who is always in public, sees him. He looks directly at him. It's not just that he just saw him at a glance. He's intently looking at him. Maybe it's kind of like this. He's standing there with his disciples, ministering in public, and there are always people passing by. Jesus is in the crowd, and he's anonymous, because after all, he's not wearing a sparkling white robe with a red sash. He's wearing earth tones like all the other common people. He just blends in. But John, looking out, looks directly at him and sees him and declares again, behold, he says to everybody who's there standing there, Behold the Lamb of God. That's what he said last week. He repeats it again. We talked about it last week, but the point is in the repetition, we see here that he is repeatedly pointing all who will listen to this one, to this Lamb. And his two disciples who are there with him, they get it. And so they get up and they leave John and they start to follow Jesus. And here we have a great example of of something that commonly happens in this book. You see the writer John's technique writing with double meaning he writes something that is literally reasonable in some way and is also figuratively loaded what he does right here is he talks about them following and literally they get up and they go and they walk after Jesus that's what literally happened their lives are beginning to follow him also see the double meaning there They're starting to follow and they are starting to follow. John's saying something. Well, Jesus notices them starting to follow and he turns around and he says something to them. understand what John is doing here. Like any writer, he's been selective with his material. He's got a whole bunch of stuff and he has been selective in what he has written and how he has written it. Up to this point, he has kept... The main character of the story, Jesus, off to the side, in in the wings, so to speak. It's abundantly clear who we're talking about, but he has not yet arrived. If you're into art or literature or theater, you'll you'll appreciate his technique here. He's building suspense. He's heightening our expectations because we all know what he's talking about, but this person has not arrived yet. Not until right now. Until verse 38 this were a movie, there'd be change in music here. But it's in the Bible, so it's change in ink color. Jesus' first words are about to arrive on the scene. He's stepping up, and he's about to introduce himself to everybody who's looking. What do you want? What are you seeking What are you after? What are you searching for? What do you desire? What are you pursuing? What do you want? John introduces Jesus to us, not with a lofty proclamation. Those are here, but they're on other people's lips. What Jesus says, first and foremost, to these folks who are just beginning to follow Him, and to all of us who are following Him, He asks you a question What do you want in following me? The two disciples respond to him with a question that tells us something about them. Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? You have something to teach us. We haven't met you yet, but you have something to teach us. And we want to go and be with you wherever you're staying. Where is that? Can we come? Jesus says, sure. He invites them to continue following. Come and see see where I'm staying. And there's another double meaning here in John's words. This word staying. Got it three times there. Where are you staying? So they went to where he was staying and they stayed with him. It's a word more commonly translated remain like up in verses 32 and 33. And John in this gospel uses this word about 40 times more than the whole rest of the New Testament combined. He keeps bringing this word up. Trying to say something. Now, yes, they literally went to where he was staying and they stayed with him for the rest of that day and probably for the night. But in this package of these words here, John is trying to communicate something to us. He's telling us literally what happened, but he's also telling us something about how people are meant to join themselves to Jesus. They are meant to follow him and to evaluate him and to stay with him, to remain. getting that theme out there for us. And then verses 41 and following, what we see are a picture of Jesus' first meeting with a few folks who would later be his disciples. He meets Simon. and He exercises some strange authority over him in that he renames him and pronounces what his future is going to be. He meets Philip for the first time and commands him, come and follow me. He meets Nathaniel, and he surprises him by his display of omniscience. And then he surprises them even further by saying, you're going to see a lot more than that. In fact, and he utters this unusual sentence in verse 51, we're going to look at it a little bit more later. Jesus is meeting people. The disciples are gathered to him through the witness of other disciples, incidentally. The disciples are gathered to him. They meet Jesus. He speaks to them in some way, and then in some way they respond. That's the text. That's what's going on here. And with this kind of passage, obviously the main theme is going to be something centered around meeting and following and staying with Jesus. We have more than just history here. We have something, a message to us about fastening ourselves to Christ. I think there are probably three issues that are raised here that we need to think about and deal with. I'm going to put them in the form of three questions. I'm going to ask three different questions so we can kind of think about these issues. The first one's a lot longer than the last two, and the last two are kind of connected to it, sort of as application. So I'm going to look at three different issues through three questions. The first one's a lot longer. Let's start there. Here's the first question that helps us understand something about following, about fastening ourselves to Jesus. We have to first figure out who he is. So here's the first question, very simple. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Very straightforward. And as soon as I ask that, I'm sure that for most of us, a number of ideas pop into our minds. One of which might be, isn't that kind of obvious already? I mean, what have we been looking at for the last couple of weeks? Consider what we've already seen. Yes, it is obvious and it's glorious. Who is Jesus? He is the eternal word that has always just been. Way back in the very beginning, before anything was created, he was right there with God and in fact He was God way back before the creation. Who is Jesus? He is also the true light. Not light like the Old Testament scriptures were, like a flashlight that shows you a path. He's the light shining in the room that we're supposed to be moving towards. He contains life. He Himself contains life such that if we want to live In a true and genuine way, we must have Him. He is the Word eternal, second person of the Trinity. He is true light that has life, and He became flesh and walked the earth. Fully God, fully man. The majesty and the glory of God in a body. The Messiah, the anointed deliverer of Israel, come to earth. Come as a king to reign, but come first as a lamb to be slain to remove sin from those who trust Him. To provide blood under which you can hide so that the wrath of God passes over. That's who Jesus is. And that's glorious. We've seen that already. So why ask this question again? Well, it's kind of like this. you ever known a person where you meet them, you form some impression about them, But then as you continue to get to know them, you realize there's a lot more depth to this person. There's some more nuance here than I first thought. That's that's happened to you, I'm sure. It happens with us, with people. Same thing with Jesus here. Sometimes with a person, it's a negative thing. You thought he was A, and you realize, actually, he's B. That's not so good. I was wrong. But other times, you think he's A, and you find out, yes, actually, he is A, but I didn't really know what A meant until I saw A, applied here in this situation, or A, interact with this person. You see and you learn more about what you already knew. That's what happens this morning. Jesus is going to tell us some more about himself. And actually we're going to see this week after week after week, Jesus from a different angle, a jewel with many facets. And if you're a Christian, you're going to spend the next weeks and months and years And millennium simultaneously, knowing who Jesus is and asking, Who are you? and finding out more. You never reach the end of this question, it's always worth asking. You will find more, you'll find a different angle, you'll find Him to be richer and fuller than you thought. So, what do we find this morning? This morning's text, there are a number of different ways that Jesus shows himself to us. I'm going to skip over most of them to focus on one. But we see in here that he's called the Lamb. We talked about that last week. He's given a lot of different titles. He's the the rabbi, he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God and the Son of Man and the King. Some of these we've already talked about, some we'll talk about yet in the future. We also see him, interestingly, begin to, from the very beginning, begin to display some unique control of life in an unusual sort of way he's in command and that must have been clear to people he didn't boss people or I didn't tell them you go do this you go to that it wasn't bossy in command but in command in a sense that you met him and you knew he had authority he meets Simon and he changes his name and tells him what his future is going to be he meets Philip and he says, Come and follow me. He meets Nathaniel and he talks about something that was happening before that he shouldn't have known. And then he tells him what the future is going to hold. They must have felt in the presence of some authority. A little seen through, a little exposed even. Because that was the case. What we're seeing here. And this opening scene is sovereign power and divine omniscience thinly veiled. Jesus is beginning to show himself to us as one who was always in charge, one who was in command, one who knows things, one who makes things happen, and one who predicts that if, if you're impressed with this, Nathaniel, there is a lot more to come. This is just the tip of the iceberg. In fact, one of the things you're going to see, and it's a you all are going to see, verse 51, it's a plural you. He says to Nathanael, you all will see, truly, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Truly, truly, it's literally amen, amen. This is the case. This is the case. Rest in it. Be sure of it. Be sure of it. This is going to happen. But what is he talking about? It's a puzzling little sentence. Well, what he's doing is he's referring back to the life of Jacob. Jacob, who was the grandson of Abraham. Jacob, who was the father of, one of the fathers of Israel and literally the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. That Jacob. You can read about this back in Genesis 28. While he was still young, he's not married, doesn't have any kids, he's fleeing from home because Jacob is a deceiver, even what his name means. And he's just stolen the birthright from his brother Esau and deceived his father Isaac. And now he's running for his life to an in-law. He's left home, moving across the desert, by himself, and he lies down in a solitary place to sleep, and he has a dream and in this dream God shows him something heaven opened connected down to him with a ladder maybe a set of stairs and on this ladder there are angels traversing up and down and then God arrives now this is not science fiction he hasn't found a portal that like connects him to another world or something, there's no black hole on earth idea. This is a dream trying to illustrate something to him, and we'll get to that in just a second, what he's trying to show him. But he's there, he's got this ladder, the angels, and then God comes. The text says the Lord stood over it and repeated the covenant to Jacob. I'm going to pause here to try to understand this because it's about this. What we're talking about right here is going to get carried over to Jesus in a moment, so let's be sure we understand it. The text says the angels going up and down on it, and the Lord stood over it. But if you have a footnote there, you may have a footnote there in your Bible that points out we could translate that him. Because in Hebrew, it would be the same pronoun for either it or him in this case. And the context decides, is it a thing or is it a person that we're talking about? Well, it's, it's a little difficult to decide, but I'm pretty sure that he's talking about Him. One of the reasons I think that is that seven chapters later, in chapter 35, a very similar thing happens at the very same place. There's no ladder this time, but decades have passed. Jacob comes back to the same spot, lies down, has a very similar dream. God comes down to him and speaks the very same words to him, very similar things. And there the grammar is much more clear. He was on Jacob and descended up from Jacob. Either way, it doesn't matter very much, but I think that seeing it as the ladder is on him and God is on him makes it more personal. He's connected to him, and what does he say? Well, what the Lord says is important, especially when you think about the context. He's fleeing because of his lies and deception. So God says to him, in effect, you are running away from the promised family and you are running away from the promised land and you're doing it because you're a liar and a deceiver. That's the only reason you're here right now. You are a scoundrel. Granted, yet. Yet. You are still my man. The covenant promises made to your father Abraham and to Isaac are indeed coming to you. Heaven is opened on you Jacob the angels of God my servants for the sake of my people are coming up and down on you here at this place this is the place and you are the person that meets God God and man meet right here in you at this place the covenant promises I will give you this land I will give you a great people, and through that people I will bless all of the nations. That people is going to be you and your people. You are my man. That's the message he's speaking with his mouth, and that's the message he's illustrating with this picture of the angels up and down on him. It's not Esau. It's not someone else. It's you. There are going to be some interesting turns in this road. You're leaving. You're going to be gone for decades. You're going to come back, though. And in chapter 35, I'm going to tell you the very same thing at the very same place. I'll repeat the covenant to you again here. That's the message that he's trying to communicate. It's important to understand that. It's a little complicated, but it's important to understand the message here because this is about to get transferred over to Jesus. So we have that there's one man dreaming in a desert receiving the approval and the covenant blessing of God on him. And here's the connection. Jesus says, you will see much greater things than me telling you about how I saw you sitting under a fig tree or something like that. You are going to see heaven opened and the angels of God coming up and down on me you are going to see me in the place of Father Jacob. The father of the people that you all respect, almost revere. The one to whom the covenant blessings are boiling down and coming to. Me. That's what Jesus is saying. It's a powerful statement. Now, we miss the point if we ask, when did the heavens literally open and when did the angels literally come down on Jesus? The answer is they didn't. It's figurative here. He's capturing this Old Testament image. He's grabbing a hold of it and he's saying, you will come to see that Jacob's experience was pointing beyond him to someone else greater than him. Just like all of David's experiences were pointing beyond him to someone greater than him. In the same way that Jesus is the ultimate King David and the ultimate sacrificed Passover lamb and the ultimate anointed deliverer of his people, he is also the ultimate Jacob, the father of Israel, name even changed to Israel. That's profound. We could leave that point and go off and talk about a whole bunch of other theology and what that means. I'm not going to go there. If we walk down that path, some of us would disagree on some issues here. But right here, if we stop right here, this is abundantly clear. Jacob, the situation that happened with him, me, says Jesus. So who is Jesus? What do we see about him here? He is the center of the new center of all that God is doing in the work of redemption. Jesus is the new center of God's work in the world. God has worked through covenant. He's worked through promises. They put it in the words of Paul in Galatians. All the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And Paul says, let's be clear, that's one person. The promises made to Abraham and to his son Isaac? No. To his son Jacob? No. To his son Christ, Jesus. All the promises, and particularly in that context, the great promise is the fellowship of God with his people, the Spirit, Galatians is talking about. That is to Abraham and to Christ And to all who are in Christ, we must come to Christ because he is this new center of all that God is doing in the world. It's a bit like building a building here, and we're just in chapter 1, so we've only got the first brick or maybe the first tier of bricks, and it doesn't really look like very much right now. But as we keep moving through John, what we're going to see is that Jesus again and again connects himself to Old Testament concepts and says, That's me, or I fulfill that, or I complete that. We're going to see that he's the new temple. He is the manna of God. He is the the water in the, the feast of booths. He's the vine, another image for Israel. He is the true light and the true shepherd. All these things come from the Old Testament. Jesus didn't make them up in the book of John. He's speaking to a Jewish audience and he says, this stuff in in your Bible, in our our scriptures, it's me. Again and again and again. What he's trying to show them is all that God has done didn't get cut off and stopped. It gets focused in on Messiah. Me. Me. And if all that God is doing in the world centers on Jesus, if he is the new focus, then what does that mean for us? It brings us to the second question. The second and third questions are a little shorter. They kind of work as application. If that's who he is, then the second question is just what does Jesus expect of us? What is expected of us? Now, care must be taken when we read a narrative account that's just telling us what other people did. Care must be taken that we don't just blindly assume that then we're supposed to do that too. For instance, we're probably not all supposed to build an ark like Noah did. We know that. So we need to be careful. when you look at the text and figure out what is this writer trying to tell me to do? And John makes his point clear, especially by repetition of words. Remember, we talked about that. Follow. It's in 37 and 38 and 40. And importantly, it's the command of Jesus in 43, follow me. And then the use of the word remain, stay or remain three times. And then Jesus' statement, come and you will see, which is a lot like Philip's statement, come and see. You put these things together and the sheer weight of them moves it beyond just description to proscription. This is what we are to do as well. What does Jesus expect of us? Come to him, follow him, and remain with him. Come to him, follow him, and remain with him. Technically, three different words, yes, but conceptually, they're all one idea. When the Bible talks about coming to Jesus, for instance, it means come and stay, remain. When it talks about follow, it means follow forever, It's not saying come and follow for a little while and then leave if you like and then come back later. It's follow, stay, remain. It's all one idea here. If you wrap this all into one word, you might say that what Jesus expects of us is that we become genuine disciples. A disciple is one who comes, observes, follows, and stays. That's a genuine disciple. Someone who by faith has fastened themselves to Christ. This is a huge concern for John. Remember what he wrote at the end of the book? The purpose statement? I've written these things to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life. He wants us to have life and to get there, he wants you to believe some things. Believe in a a living sense to entrust yourself to them, to understand them and to grab them and to believe them, to trust them, to be a genuine follower. He is after genuine belief and he's going to warn us repeatedly by showing us people throughout this book who don't genuinely believe, who follow for a little while and then turn away, who believe some things and then stop. He's going to warn us with all of those instances. He's setting it up right now by saying, this is what a disciple is, someone who comes and follows and remains with Him. We're each being called to that kind of faith, to fasten ourselves to Him, not stay at a distance, to remain with Him, not turn away when hard things happen or hard teachings come. He's going to show us that. This is what he expects of us. It's what he requires of us. But this is a hard thing for us to do. If you look at yourself, it's really easy to sit here and listen to me say this and say, Well, of course. That's what Jesus expects. I mean, I didn't think that you'd say I could come and go as I liked, or believe him or not, it didn't really matter. I'm saying what you expect me to be saying. It's what you expect the Bible to be saying. Then why is it so hard to do this? Why are we wishy-washy? Why do we come sometimes and leave? Why do we follow at a distance or follow selectively? We have a huge problem in here called our hearts. We're fallen people. We get distracted. All the stuff happens in the world. I mean, after you work 10 or 12-hour days for enough days in a row, after you deal with enough young kids for enough days in a row, you kind of get deadened a little bit. And you forget some of these larger issues, following and and remaining. It seems more like the, the goal for today is to make it through. The goal for the day is to get some food, get some sleep, maybe have a little bit of fun, and get what I need to get done, done. That seems to be the goal. That's what I'm really after today. Get hardened and deadened by life. We have an enemy also who wants to entice us to chase after other things. He has a good way of setting up things in front of us that match with our heart problem. We're lured We sometimes think that, well, as long as I haven't turned away and rejected this, then I guess I still am following. But that's not his goal for us either. His his goal is, is close following, is staying with, not just not rejecting. There's a heart problem here that I can't just tell you, fix it, be different, and you can't just flip a switch and make it different. What's being laid out here is what is required of us. A person, I'm not talking about just Christians as if non-Christians don't have to do this. People are required to follow after and remain with Jesus. But there isn't a switch that you go find, that you flip and now you want to do this. What do you do about that? That's, That's the real issue. Not just knowing what is required. You probably already knew some of that. What do you do about it? What do you do about it? What I do about it is I pray for grace first and second and third. I pray for grace that God would open my eyes and let me see something. So what Paul prays for Christians as he's talking to them in the book of Ephesians too. You remember that? He prays that God would open the eyes of their hearts so that they would see Jesus. A child will throw away a diamond because it looks like a rock. We need grace to help us see. This is a treasure beyond all treasures. Here He is right in front of us. God, open my eyes. I have a tendency within me to get caught up in the things that I'm doing today and today and today and today and today, and and I never look up. Help. Change me. You know, this week, it's very easy for me to think that my job, my purpose is to get up, come to the church here, get a sermon written. It's very easy for you to to think that your purpose is to get up and make sure the kids don't kill themselves today. Feed them whatever they'll eat. Keep the house from being destroyed. It's to get up and go to work and produce this portion of that program that you're supposed to get done today or your supervisor is going to have your hide. Very easy for you to think that that is what you're supposed to be doing. God, open my eyes and help me to see more than that. To see this Jesus for who He really is. Light and life. God in the flesh. Come to save. It's a glorious God. God, fix my my purposes and my goals, my desires, my motives. Here's what happens, and I'm moving towards the third question if you get up in the morning and you see your purpose as to get through the day, whatever that day looks like, then what you're going to do is you're going to be scanning around to find stuff that helps you get through the day. That turns Jesus, if you think to look to Jesus, it turns Jesus into a vending machine that dispenses what you're really after. What I really want is the energy to get through this day. Etc. And if you'll give it to me, I'll come to you. Plenty of other people find it somewhere else in meditation, in some other God, whatever. They'll go there to find it. I'll go over here to find it. The point is, we're not actually looking for Jesus. We're looking for, in this case, energy. And that gets us to the third question. I think this is a profound question, and it is an insightful way to begin a book. What do you want? What are you after in your following? Do you want, in this example, the energy to get through the day, or do you want Jesus? You can go, if, if you want to, you, you can go to the sales pitch to get something you really want. But Jesus does not play that game. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All this other stuff that you need. I know what it is. It will be added to you. Those things, Many of those things are fine that we're after. We do have to raise kids. We do have to come to church and write a sermon. We do have to go to work and produce the program. Those things are fine. The problem comes when we get them out of order. And we view Jesus, as I said, like the vending machine. Can you get me what I really want? There's a word for that. It's called idolatry. What do you want? Are you Martha or are you Mary? Who wanted to sit at Jesus' feet? Are you Mephibosheth in the Old Testament? Accused of being a traitor to David, to King David? Then things got sorted out and David was going to restore the land back to Mephibosheth that he'd given to somebody else. And Mephibosheth said, I don't care. He can keep the land if I can just sit at your table, David. I don't care about the basis of wealth. Let him have it. Can I sit here with you? Where are you staying, Jesus? Can we come see and stay with you? What do you want?
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org.